Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey, Space Family. Tonight we're honored to be speaking with Billy Carson. You may also know him as Forbidden Knowledge with the number four. He's an author, a music producer, explorer, and expert on hidden ancient knowledge. He's the definition of entrepreneur, to say the least. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us, by the way. I'm getting ready to start Hell Week, literally. So, oh man, I'm running behind on a little bit of stuff, but I got to take eight flights in nine days. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. You are always all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's going to be crazy. I got pre-packed luggage oh. in different cities and everything else. It's, it's going to be wild. That How many wild. projects do you have going on at one time? Typically about seven to eight projects at a time. Wow. Yeah. How do you even manage all of that? Uh, you know, it's tough. You got to keep a lot of key people in positions mm-hmm. and people that, are, that you can trust to help, which is hard to find. And uh, you have to do a lot yourself. So it, People still, they'll see a picture of you on Instagram enjoying like a, a beach setting or something, which they don't realize that's only 15 seconds in a story and <laughs> and a one minute clip on Instagram. And they'll think, oh, this guy's got the greatest life. All he does is lay back on the beach all day. <laughs> Just watch one minute of my life. Yep. <laughs> okay. To kick this off, we do want to dabble in a little bit of everything. But first, mm-hmm. I think that we'd like to get to know who you were before mm-hmm. The Billy Carson we all know today. So right. what inspired you to become such a truth seeker? Well, uh, story, you know, goes like I've said before, uh, as a kid, um, back in Miami, Florida, uh, we moved from New York City to Miami. <laughs> I don't know why we did, but I guess it's all part of the destiny now. But we moved there and uh, we moved close to this Opelok airport area. And I would go outside and watch the airplanes go over my house in the backyard. And one day when I went out to watch the airplanes, I saw an object that did not look like an airplane. And it didn't look, I didn't know the word UFO or, or flying saucer. That didn't exist. Aliens didn't exist yet in my vocabulary. I just knew what I saw wasn't, a, wasn't an airplane. This is a 1970, um, 1976, I believe it was, or 77, one of those two years. And I, I, right away, I realized it cleared the horizon in seconds. Like I knew airplanes take a long time to go from point A to point B when you're looking up at the sky. This thing went across and literally in seconds came back, covered, and then took off the way that it came in. So I went to school the next day and I went straight to the library. And I got down all the Encyclopedia Britannicas on aerospace and started researching literally from that moment. That's when I started researching. <laughs> so it was almost an awakening experience from the beginning. It, it spiked your interest enough to figure out how is this possible? Mm-hmm. Because based off of what we're taught here, that shouldn't even exist. Like yeah. that should not happen. Correct. I I went to all the military stuff. I went, you know, and the beautiful thing about the law of attraction is uh, once I started digging into this, a week later, who knocks at the door? The encyclopedia sales man comes to the door at the house and uh, gave my mom a whole set, you know, which was great. Then I didn't have to keep going to the school library and and running in there and quote unquote borrowing (laughs) their books. (laughs) So I would, uh, I had to run at the house and then I would, and and then for, uh, you know, like holidays, like birthdays and Christmas and so forth, I would only ask for books and information and technology, Radio Shack, electronic schematic boards, soldering kits, uh, LED lights. All I wanted to do was figure out what I saw and how I can possibly recreate it or if it could be recreated. And I knew that based on what I saw, there was technology out there that 
wasn't, you know, known to the general public. So I know that, you know, you're very multifaceted. You have, you're an author, you, you know, do TV shows, you're recently doing a movie, I hear. But yeah. I really want to talk to you about first class space because okay. I'm really intrigued by what it is that you want to do with the future and, mm -hmm. you know, taking people to Mars. So you can you tell us a little bit about what first class space is? Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, you know, after realizing, uh, you know, the technology that, should exist after reading a lot of books growing up and watching uh, some sci-fi movies, of course, and then realizing that there were people that were trying to come up with these types of technologies, but they were being suppressed. I said to myself, as I got older, I, I need to be one of the people helping push mankind uh, towards the forefront to try to get us to a type one civilization. Right now we're labeled as a type zero civilization. We don't really capitalize on any of our resources and uh, we don't have the capability we do have the capability of doing a type one civilization where we're harnessing green energy and so forth but we're not really moving as fast as we should so in 2014 i formed i formed first class space agency and registered it in, in the state of florida and the purpose of it was to help to begin to generate or create or do research and development at least on type one civilization technologies which would include zero point energy um, generators, perpetual motion generators, hydrogen generators, um, as well as uh, alternative propulsion systems dealing with ferrofluid vortex engines and different ways of obtaining anti-gravity, um, you know, through various methods that are really already well known and available, but just have not been really applied just because a lot of people that have the knowledge and wisdom to try to push for that have been suppressed or, the, or can't get the funding. But now the window of opportunity has opened up and these private uh, opportunities, these private corporation opportunities are expanding and growing like light speed, making uh, space, private space, the number one business to be in right now. And I realized that if I got into private space, I can utilize this ex extremely open window of opportunity and funding that's available now uh, to position myself to create technology that can help for space travel, but also help with citizens on the planet Earth, which is the main objective, by bring it, being able to bring power to people in the dark regions of third world countries that don't have electricity or power and kind of try to help even the playing field a little bit and change some lives. And so at what kind of stage is the company at so far? Like, are we, are you still like getting funding for it? Or like, what stage are you at now with it? Well, we raised a, a little bit of money to work on some of the prototypes. We're going to raise a little bit more uh, private money for prototypes, just from donations to sponsors. I'm heading up to... Um, uh, tomorrow to uh, Atlanta to meet with uh, Triumphant Group and TCJ Aerotech. Uh, that's a $1 billion tech company. They've already given me a, a term sheet for $20 million, which I've signed already. Uh, so I'm going up there now to showcase a little bit of what we've got, the progress we've made with some of the prototype, uh, and talk about a little bit of the other research that we've come up with that they, that they requested from us. And we should be able to get that wrapped up and closed within the next 60 days. Uh, they're extremely excited about that. So we're, we're pumped because right now we're just operating out of a small office. But uh, once they give us a sum of the seed capital, which uh, we, we've been told we will get, we're going to then begin to build out the laboratory right out here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So that's coming up really within the next 30 to 60 days. Uh, we've already got over 400 applications from quantum physicists, quantum mechanics, aerotech, aerospace engineers, CAD designers, 3D printer operators, I mean, you name it. So we're, we're moving forward pretty fast. Within the next 90 days, we should be completely open set up 
and running inside of a laboratory. So is there anything, you know, like that we as, you know, the small people of the world can do to help you with this? Like, is there a way that we could um, just individual people can help donate, get involved, where people can put in applications to work there? Mm -hmm. Like, is there some sort of resource center that you have that we can look up that information? Sure. If you go to first, with the number, not with the number one, just F-I-R-S-T, first class space dot agency. We were lucky enough to get that first class space dot agency. Or you can go to first class space dot org. So there's a lot of S's in there, first class space dot org. Um, and uh, actually, a new website goes live in about three hours. So the website that's up there has been up there for a little while, but it does list our partners and so forth. Uh, but the new website will be live on that same, those same domains. Nothing's going to change in the website name. But uh, you can also go to GoFundMe and type in first class space. And you can help by making a donation. It could be a dollar. It could be $10. Some people have donated as much as $1,000. And uh, people who donate $1,000, uh, we're giving them the opportunity to get some common stock in the company. We have a small amount of common stock available. Uh, and that will help us build out some of the initial prototypes and so forth and get some of the uh, initial R&D things completed and closed out that we'll need prior to actually opening the laboratory and waiting for the funding to hit the account within 60 to 90 days. So that would be a great help. And, it, you know, they're taking part in becoming part of helping humanity move forward. So it's a great investment that's, to me, in my opinion, is totally priceless for such a small amount. And like I said, there are people that donate a specific amount will be directly contacted and uh, they'll get a couple of things from us, like a free copy of our book, uh, my book, actually, The Compendium, which is a bestseller. Uh, access to the laboratory and private tour when it opens up, as well as uh, some common stock. So people can help by going to GoFundMe.com and looking and typing in first class space. And the project is up there. It's been approved by GoFundMe. So initially it was up and then it went down for a few days as GoFundMe wanted to research everything. And after they got done with their research and was very satisfied with what we had and what we're doing, then they opened it back up and it's a green light to go. So they're very excited about it as well. Awesome. Yep. So before this, you are also the co-founder of United Family of Anomaly Hunters, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. You must have come across a lot of evidence for life on other planets, even in our solar system. That must have aided some sort of inspiration for you to even get into private space. Yeah. Well, um, it's a very strange story how I got into United Family of Anomaly Hunters. I it's almost, you know, taboo to talk about these, you know, these days. It's getting a lot more easier to talk about. But, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I really did have an experience with what I thought were to be beings from out of this world in around 2010. And I was working on a very huge project called Fort Terra Nova and uh, building an underground city in northwest Georgia, which was uh, completed. It, it aired on um, the History Channel, actually, in 2012. They did a story on, on the underground shelters that we were building. But, but during this time, for whatever reason, I, I, I just named that because I think it has something to do with the, with the visitation for whatever reason, because I was discovering a lot of things about celestial movements, precession of the equinoxes, um, global alignments, planetary alignments that affect gravity and cause catastrophes and calamities and everything else. But at this moment, uh, you know, these, I just call them two great aliens, really like the kind you see on all the TV shows. Um, they just appeared in my house one day. And uh, as they appeared, the, the room, before they appeared, the room started turning a different color, like a lavender, purplish haze. And I thought my kids were playing a trick on me. I, I really did. I turned to the left shoulder to see if my boys were shining <laughs> some kind of weird light downstairs. And uh, nobody was there, even though they were in the house, but they weren't in that corner playing any tricks or games. And when I turned around, these two beings were there. 
you know, I, I hid this for so many years. I was horrified to even talk about it or bring it up, to be honest with you, but, you know, because I got nothing out of it but heartache and divorce and everything else. <laughs> but that didn't work out too good for me. But uh, it really did happen. And they um, they didn't speak to me telepathically. Like, you know, a lot of people here, they heard words in their head and stuff and so forth. I didn't get that. But what I did get was an immense shaking of my brain inside of my skull. Um, I screamed and uh, no words were able to be heard. Uh, even I couldn't hear my own scream. And um, just as soon as it started, they turned around and they left. They kind of dangled out. They don't really walk like a normal human gait. They kind of dangled for, for whatever reason. It was weird. Um, and then everything went back to normal. The TV came back on. The the purple haze went away. And I ran around the house. And nobody heard a sort of thing. Um, and I, all I did all I did was frighten them by telling them what just happened. And uh, But what happened, how I got into United Family was... One thing I have to give them credit for, I mean, after this, after they left, this term, this phrase kept burning in my brain, worldwide telescope, worldwide telescope. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of times. So I go on my computer and I, I said, I got to figure out what this is. So I type in uh, on Excite.com. At that time, it wasn't really Google. Then Google was kind of competing still more. And I typed in worldwide telescope and, and up pops this, the first link, this software company, a software program that you download and install, and it gives you access to all the space probe data. I said, wow, this is really incredible. This is a real thing. So I downloaded it. I installed it. I started surfing around the skies, and I saw panoramas. So I go to panoramas, and I go, okay, wow, panoramas of what? So I go, then it says Mars panoramas. So I go to Mars panoramas, and I open up one of the panoramas. I think it was Opportunity Rover, and I saw right away what looked like things that didn't belong on the, in the images. They, these were rover images. It gives you a very good perspective because it's like you're sitting inside the rover camera, zooming in, zooming out, looking left, right, and so forth, and moving forward and backwards. So it was a really cool concept that they came up with using these stitched images directly from the, um, the rovers that are on the planet's surface. And I saw things all over the place laying on the top of the soil that weren't even being covered up. And I was like, wow, what in the world am I looking at? Mm -hmm. uh, so I started cataloging these anomalies. And uh, when I got on Facebook and looked into a few searches, I saw that other people were in groups where a small amount of people were doing the same thing I was doing. They had came across this same information. I found the best of us. It, was, it turned out to be 14 of us total. And we would then bounce the information back and forth and say, okay, this is real. This doesn't look real. This is good. This is bad. So we eventually formed a group called the United Family of Anomaly Hunters in order to really focus and hone in on these anomalies. And together, over the, over the last few years, we've downloaded over a million images from official sources like NASA, the European Space Agency, Indian Space Agency, Russian and China. Uh, and we've cataloged over 58,000 anomalies now. I mean, things that really don't shouldn't be in these images. We can't say specifically what they are, but they look like they have geometry. They look like they have some have uh, substance, some look biological, some look alive and some look dead. It's really it's really an amazing thing. Uh, and uh, some of those images have made international news. Some have been featured on Ancient Aliens. You know, uh, some have been featured on Deep Space on uh, Gaia TV. So it's been all over the place. And it really, you know, was a catalyst for me moving forward and saying, you know, we, I really need to move into this uh, arena. This, this, this is where I need to go. I need to be moving towards figuring out these mysteries, going around the globe, finding out how the past links to the, to the present and the future, and also how we can develop technologies to recreate what looks like to me a lost civilization. Absolutely. To us, obviously, you know, we're about the contact experiences. So hearing your story, to me, that sounds like an absolute download experience. Mm. Time happened for you where all this information came into your brain, whether mm. you knew how to sort that out all at once or not, but mm. then it led you down to this path. Mm -hmm. 
And so it must have inspired all kinds of things. I know you wrote a book recently, Compendium of the Emerald Tablet. Yeah. I do have my own copy. I just started reading it so far. It's been really great. Oh, you also released an album for that. Mm -hmm. So I've been listening to the album and reading the mm -hmm. book just yeah. like repeatedly. I feel like it enhances oh, the great. experience. It's like you're going on an actual <laughs> yeah. experience. Right. Can you talk a bit about the book? That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I through, through all this anomaly hunting and everything else, what I did was I realized that um, some of the anomalies that I'm looking at on these planets appear to be the same type of structural anomalies that we're finding on Earth from ancient times. I'm talking about megalithic anomalies like Pumapunku, you know, um, uh, the uh, Machu Picchu region, all those stone blocks there, of course, Giza uh, in Egypt. Um, so all the megalithic stone sites around the world, Baalbek and so forth, they're all starting to look like the things I'm finding on mostly Mars. And I, so I said to myself, okay, now, I mean, you know, one plus one got to equal two. If this is ancient here, and that looks to be ancient there, it looks like the same exact architecture, probably the same architect. So let me research these ancient structures on Earth. And that took me down a whole other rabbit hole and took me into ancient Sumerian tablets, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, Indian Vedas. Eventually knocked me into the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, which um, claimed to have been written 36,000 plus years ago. Uh, and that, along with the Sumerian Kings list, which gives a reign of kings over 220,000 years, I said, wow, this is some deep, deep antiquity stuff. I need to dig in deep to this and figure out if I can see who the original architect was or the architects were of these structures that I'm seeing across multiple planets. And uh, the Emerald Tablets really just blew me away just going into them initially and realizing I thought I knew a lot. But when I hit those things, <laughs> I had to put them down, pick them up, put them down pick them up and I started getting this awakening as to what they were really trying to tell us. And this information was written for a time of a man, a mankind under a new sun or in the future, which is us now. It, they were written back then specifically for this generation of people that are walking the planet today as we speak. And when I realized that I just had a complete epiphany and I said, okay, I've got to write a book about these tablets and I've got to break them down and make it possible for the average person to understand them because the more people I talked to about them, they loved them and that they were getting a lot of esoteric glints of information or glimpses of light from it, but they weren't really getting the full picture. So I said, if I can put this down in a way where I haven't completely mastered them myself, but I'm, you know, I've done a pretty good job with them. If I can, if I can get this written down in a way where the majority of people could understand it and digest it, I have something very special that would help enlighten the entire planet. And so far, it's been amazing. Uh, it's be became a bestseller on Amazon. And that's without even selling all the books through Amazon. I sold two-thirds of the books through my website, which were autographed copies, and a limited amount on Amazon. So one-third of the books still made it up to uh, number six out of 200,000 authors in ancient civilizations, which is incredible. <laughs> so I might have been number one at some point if I would have sold them all there. And then I, I did the, the album, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, to go with the book because I... I did all the music encoded at 432 hertz, uh, which is basically uh, a frequency that really helps with healing DNA and helps with expanding consciousness. Um, and it's also, as you know, the, the Great Pyramid of Giza is 432,000 times the scale of the size of Earth. And so it was just, you know, it's all, it's all numerically connected in, in synchronicity. So I did that all encoded at 432, and I did music that I thought would take a person as they're reading on a journey as if they were reading and then also kind of watching a documentary or a docuseries or maybe even a movie 
but just let their mind go through this as they kind of read and take them on a journey through the book and, you know, try to uh, take it to another level consciously. And the response has been just overwhelmingly incredible. People are just, I mean, I can't, yeah, I can't even get to all the, the, the thank yous and the appreciation letters and emails and everything else. It's been a real good journey. It really is an experience. And I'm, I'm really glad that you touched on the frequency aspect because mm-hmm. one of the topics I have heard you lecture on is this whole idea of us being in a fractal holographic universe. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to expand on that because to me, it makes perfect sense. I think to a lot of people, they get a little bit afraid because they start to question, does that mean I'm not real? You know, what I do, there's no purpose. That whole thing of everything being a simulation, I think Mm -hmm. is really scary to people, but I Mm -hmm. think it's because they don't exactly understand what that means. Yeah. Would you mind really going into that as much as you could or just sure. abbreviated version just so someone that comes across this can hear and maybe feel a little bit better about the idea and think mm-hmm. of it in a different a different aspect? Sure, no problem. I mean, like you said, the, the biggest problem is a lot of people do get scared when they hear you say you were in a holographic universe. They're thinking, oh, wow, this guy thinks I'm just a light you know, hologram of you know, nothing but light pixels or whatever. But that's, you know, that's the the, the bland version of it. <laughs> You have to say to yourself, okay, if you believe that there is a creator of the universe, which the majority of the people do believe there's a creator, and mathematically in quantum physics, it's proven now that someone or something somewhere at a specific time that we have no idea about, probably outside of time, did create this realm because mathematically it's, it can be proven that there's a fingerprint. There's a fingerprint of the evidence through Phi, Pi, Fibonacci sequence, uh, through the error correcting codes now discovered by Professor James Gates. Um, uh, and supersymmetry, uh, the identical codes, all of these are fingerprints or evidences of a creation. And the creation language is mathematics. And everything is down to a specific, you can recreate an entire universe based off of mathematics. So th- we have proven now scientifically that we are living in a creation. So if a person can go from thinking, okay, the Bible or this book or that thing, or my ancients or whatever said, we're living in a creation, this is just a type of version of a creation that we're telling you that we're, we believe now scientifically that we're living in. So if you look at it that way, if the person might be scared a little bit, it should take away a little bit of the fear because what we're saying to you is actually, this is the method used to create the realm that you're living inside of and you're fully immersed in it. So from the inside looking out, you can't detect it, but you definitely are living in a, in a creation and the method is light. It's a light matrix. Uh, so, you know, based off of, um, a lot of scientific experiments and a lot of uh, quantum theory, uh, it appears that we're living in a, a holographic light matrix. And, you know, obviously a lot of people do know, they've heard this before, atoms are mostly empty space, 99.9% empty space. And to prove this to somebody, to give you an idea of how empty space really is, there's 7.5 billion people on Earth right now. If I took away all of the empty space in between the atoms of just the human beings that are already on Earth, I can fit their atoms in the size of a small sugar cube. So I can put 7.5 billion people in a sugar cube right now if I could take away all the empty space just in the bodies. So when you start to look at that and realize that, and that's science fact, peer-reviewed science, you start to realize that even matter is an illusion. I mean, this whole realm is nothing but light particles. and, And it's not just light particles that we can see with our very extremely limited narrow band of view as the human eye. But the uh, trillions of electromagnetic waves flowing in us, through us, and out of us at all given times, seven, day, seven, seven uh, t- uh, days a week, 24 hours a day, 
And these waves that you can't even see, even dark matter and dark energy, those are all light waves as well. We're calling them dark because our human eyes can't detect them, but anything that's a wave is actually light. This is how zero-point energy works. Zero-point energy works because all around us is this energy of, of light, these waves that we can't detect with our human eye but are there. But if, the, if you use these special cells that can collect that electromagnetic frequency, you can turn that into electricity, which is part of what we're doing at the space agency. But So we're living in a holographic light matrix that is primarily probably being broadcast in from an outside source. This could be the Big Bang source, if you want to call it that. But all the energy came in through that portal, that, that energy that came in at that particular moment or that particular uh, beginning of time is all the energy that we've needed to create all the matter and the illusion of distance and space and locality that we needed to create this entire or they needed to create this entire universe. Uh, like I said, it doesn't mean that you're not alive, that you're not real, because your body, your brain, is it has billions of magnetite crystals inside of it, and it receives consciousness. So there's only one main source of consciousness in the entire universe, and what happens is it has divided itself into trillions and trillions of entities, maybe Google's of entities, uh, looking at the size of this universe, and it has then dropped into these receiver uh, nodes inside of these avatars, which we're one of them. You have an avatar body, I have an avatar body with crystal receivers. And then this consciousness, a piece of it, comes into your avatar body and animates it at the time of conception. And then uh, basically it, uh, it operates this avatar for a very short period of time. And the purpose of the mission of this is to collect data and send data back to the main source. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're data collectors, we're information collectors. And, uh, and when you look at as above, so below, uh, you realize, okay, well, what does our brain do? Our brain does the same thing consciousness does. So imagine your brain is the consciousness. And what your brain doesn't know anything going on in the third dimension. It knows nothing. It sits in a case of darkness inside of your skull. And it says to its friends, uh, hey, guys, go out there and collect me some information so I can know what's going on. So hearing, sight, seeing, smell, they all go out, all the five senses, they go out there and they collect data. They don't know themselves what they're collecting. So this is, you know, this is, this is the archetype. So they're collecting this data. They bring the data back to the brain that's encased in complete darkness and say, here, we collected this information. We don't know what it means, but you'll figure it out. And then they give it to the brain and the brain sorts it all out and then projects a hologram of what's going on on the outside. And you navigate through electromagnetic waves using this data that was collected by the five senses, the friends. And this is the same thing I believe that the universe is doing on a larger scale. It's got all these Googles of entities out here living in these avatar bodies collecting information and data, and then sending it back to itself so that it can um, subjectively know what it is to operate, live, or uh, maybe even feel in the third dimension. Uh, and, you know, why? What is the initial agenda behind it? I don't know. But we ourselves have now created our own holographic universes. If you look at the video game called The Sims, uh, No Man's Sky, in No Man's Sky, there's 80 billion planets in one video game. And all of these planets are in 3D, and they all operate off the size of a disc that fits into a computer or a CD player. And it runs off something called the Mandelbrot set. And that set is a very simple mathematical code that allows uh, the next frame of graphics to appear as needed and the next planet, the next life form to appear as needed, just like we are in this realm that we're living in. Science says that nothing exists when you're not looking at it until you, when you turn to look at it or you show up to it, then it collapses back into matter again. It's the same thing that uh, operating these video games. And then you look at um, The Sims, where you have uh, people living lives in there, having babies, going to school, going to work, playing, you know, playing video games inside the game and so forth. 
And now they're going to add AI technology to the sim. So they're going to be conscious within the next five to 10 years. And now you've got a conscious video game with people in it that are going to be wondering who their God is, where they came from, when was their big bang. Maybe when we turn on the game console, <laughs> uh, you know, so and, and when how long does it go before they then create their own video game that has a galaxy or universe inside of it and so forth. So there's so many layers to reality that we're probably not living in base reality. We're probably one of multi trillions of universes that have been created by ancestor civilizations at some point. And we're flowing in this sea of these created uh, light matrices that are kind of just floating out here, maybe even duplicates of ours, replicated universes. There's so many possibilities, uh, and they also raise so many more questions. But I really do believe that the multiverse is created or is here because of simulated universes, and we're probably living inside of one of them. See, to me, that's crazy because I feel like you're describing the blueprint of what we consider to be our reality. Mm-hmm. And you're breaking it down into basically code. Yeah. And But that's bridging everything. It's sacred geometry. It's mm-hmm. science. There's obviously technology. And it's bridging this whole aspect of spirituality. Yeah. I think it's explaining a lot of beliefs that people have. Like, you know, for me, example... I feel like it's just describing our source energy or what I would consider God, the the source of all of us. And with that comes so much power. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we could understand how to use this to our advantage Mm -hmm. and understand what we're doing that's wrong, which is creating these outcomes that we don't prefer, you know, being able to understand the code and using it for our greater good or what we would just prefer in general and and how to steer our life that way. Yeah, I agree with you. It's describing the law of attraction Mm -hmm. and why the opposite of that works as well when we don't want something and and how that manifests. Mm -hmm. And if we understand what we're doing with our energy or Mm -hmm. just the thoughts that we're thinking, all of that is really all connected. And so could you offer any explanation or advice to someone that could take that and more of a scientific approach for people that don't really like the the spiritual aspect, but really they're so connected? Yeah. I don't think people realize how much technology and spirituality and science are really connected. And that's because we've been taught that they were all separate things. You can only go to the temple or to church to learn spirit about being a spiritual person. You know, you can only go to science class or university to learn about science. Uh, You can only become an engineer by going to engineering school. So all these things are supposed to be kind of separate, even though technology and science kind of cross over a little bit. But technology people, or you know, they call us geeks, are a little bit different than a person who's just more into quantum physics or quantum mechanics because it's it's too mysterious. So just, you know, we've been kind of divided and separated into these separate categories instead of realizing and only utilizing a small part of each other instead of utilizing the fact that it should be a unified physics. It should all be combined together. The divine energy that came into this universe to help create this matrix is flowing in you, through you and out of you. And scientists discovered, to add the fact that we're technical, by the way, that uh, one gram of DNA in the human body can store uh, 700 terabytes of data. And one gram is just a drop on the tip of your finger. And what George Church did, this scientist, he took an ebook that he wrote and he downloaded it right from a computer onto DNA. Then he uploaded it from the DNA back to the computer. And he said, oh my God, DNA is a storage medium. So then he said, well, how much can this store? So they replicated the book 70 billion times before it failed. So they put 70 billion copies of this ebook on one gram of DNA, 
taking up a total of 433 petabytes of data. That's astounding. So when you look at a human body and see how much DNA is inside of a human body, then you begin to realize the human body is a giant USB drive that can store Googles of information. And according to scientists, 13.5 billion years of data is stored in each one of our bodies. And that's ironically the beginning of the time of the universe. That's when they say the universe started. So we're walking catalogs of everything that happens since the beginning of time inside of our own bodies. And again, showing that our avatar bodies are completely digital in nature. This universe is digital in nature. Uh, Professor Gates discovered that the ether of space-time is operating off of uh, adinkra codes. These zeros and one error-correcting codes are the same codes that we use to run search engine browsers and websites. This is real peer-reviewed science. So we're discovering that our entire universe is running off of code. We're coded. This is a coded realm. But that doesn't take away from the divinity aspect. Because why? Because the energy that fuels this entire realm is divine energy. And you have the capability of harnessing that power and utilizing it in your life. I call it bending the matrix. There is a matrix with a, with a set of rules here in this realm. However, when you understand how it works and you have the capability of knowing how to tap into it and utilize it in your life, you can then bend the matrix to your will and you can control your reality tunnel a lot better. See, collectively, we create reality, but individually, we create our own reality tunnels. And a lot of people aren't aware that this is what we're doing. And so they kind of just go with the flow and go with the system not realizing that you have the capability to powerfully think about uh, a situation and change it with your own thoughts, even with vocalizing it out loud, vocalizing your words. This is spoken about in many different texts. Everything from the Sumerian tablets, the Emerald tablets, talks a lot about vocalizing to create uh, semantic frequencies out of your throat. Even the modern-day Bible tried to utilize that same concept, talking about when you speak things into existence and so forth. This is all ancient wisdom from the mystery schools that talks about having the capability of creating cymatic frequencies from your own throat. Uh, so you're creating sounds with conscious intent behind them to alter reality and space-time for yourself and for your life, whether it has to do with healing, whether it has to do with divine purposes, helping people, getting out of situations, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, creating a better business for yourself, you know, anything you could think of. It literally, you, it, the power to do that is literally inside of you because the reason why... People um, don't, you know, they kind of get offended when you say this. The reason why people like myself say you are God is not because you're God, meaning you created everything in the universe yourself and you were, you were the one sitting over the whole outside the third dimension with a magic wand. It means the power of the divine energy is inside your body and coursing through your veins, it's in your DNA, which means that the energy and the power that helped create this entire universe is in you already. So you have the capability to plug in and access to utilize that power in your own life to make an effect and direct change on yourself and other people all around you. And when people realize the amount of power that they truly, really have and the capabilities they have, uh, just like in the Matrix movie, when Neo realized who he really, truly was, uh, then he was able to literally bend the Matrix and, uh, and bend it to his will. And, and be, he was able to, uh, to defeat, obviously, the, the evil, the bad guys and everything else and create his own reality. And that's really what it was trying to say. It was trying to say that once you tap into this, and, and, and come in with a position of power, which is a high frequency uh, mindset, you then can command things into existence and it's real. People who are operating from a position of begging, which is what we're taught to do, we're taught to get on your knees and beg and pray. It's okay to pray, I'm not saying don't pray because I pray every single day and I also meditate, but I don't meditate or pray from a position of weakness where I'm begging uh, an invisible sky wizard to magically do something for me to make a change. What I do is instead of doing that, because that's a low frequency, when anytime you're in a position of begging, 
you're in a low frequency uh, consciousness, and the low frequency consciousness does not synchronize with the universal consciousness. It, it can't even read you. You don't even you don't even hit the radar. You're not a bleep on the radar. This is why all the trillions of prayers that go up every single day are unanswered because they're not even hitting the quantum entanglement point. You need a high frequency for that. Once you go into a state of understanding the strength and the power of your being, and you come in with a commanding uh, mindset, so now instead of going, please help me get to my destination, I come in, my, my path to my destination is set, I will arrive at my destination safe and sound. That's a whole other level of frequency with confidence behind it. Now I'm synchronizing with the universal consciousness and the law of attraction, and everything is now falling in place as I'm moving through this matrix system. And so that's the kind of commanding effort that you need. Instead of praying and begging for somebody to get better, command that they get better, command yourself get better. You know, that kind of mindset puts out another type of frequency and energy and synchronizes with the universal consciousness through quantum entanglement. And, uh, and again, combining physics with, uh, you know, with divinity and giving you the true power to access what you already have. And once people really, you know, I was just, man, one day when they really wake up and realize this, we can continue to teach this and let people know about it, this whole world will be a totally different place. The amount of power and energy, we probably wouldn't even need these avatar bodies anymore. We'd probably be walking in etheric, uh, you know, vessels uh, because we're just, we'd be so powerful consciously, we wouldn't even need these avatar bodies anymore. I completely agree. I'm 100% on board with you. That's pretty much has been my belief for a long time. And I think that mm -hmm. also, that almost explains when you get synchronicities in your life, I feel like that's just a wink back at yourself that you're awakening to this power that you have. And, you know, maybe we're manifesting certain instances in our life to just show us that there is still a divine presence in there, but it's our participation in it. Mm -hmm. I also feel like that's a great example of how basic law of attraction does work. And it's not in the way that the movie The Secret came out with. I think a lot of people got very confused when they saw mm -hmm. that movie or the book. They just felt like if they just focused on something that mm -hmm. it worked without realizing that that also happens on the negative mm -hmm. side. And it's not just what you think. It's everything. <laughs> it's the energy that you're putting out there. And I think it's really easy for us when something doesn't go our way for us to get knocked down yeah. and we get off of our path of mm -hmm. really understanding our full power and potential. What are some ways that you handle maybe something that happens to you that you wouldn't prefer where some people might just throw in the towel and say, this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I have no power. Everything's all gone to crap. Mm -hmm. What are some key points that you can tell all of us? How can we manage this? Yeah. Well, you know, those are good questions. Um, and sometimes there's also an illusion for people when you tell them like what I just explained did they believe, well, then nothing should ever go wrong and nothing should ever. That's mm -hmm. actually not true because there's so many other countering factors that are going to come in and test you and and pull you one way or the other. I call them blindsided uh, factors. So there'll be, you know, you'll be going on one path and you think, oh, everything looks like a peachy keen over here. And all of a sudden you get blindsided by something you didn't realize was going to happen. Uh, you know, so for example, I'm in a company, I'm, I'm running a business and uh, this is a true story, actually. And everything is um, I, I built, a business that I built from the ground up, a call center, and everything was going phenomenal and fantastic. Uh, and I came across, through a law of attraction, an old partner of mine who had another call center doing something very similar. He had the better sales rep and training system. I had the better back end and technology system. So we said, yeah, we'll combine forces and we'll build a, a big uh, company. And so we did that. Now, he brought along with him a partner that he had. 
And um, this partner was an X factor to me. I didn't really know him or anything about him. I just knew that he was, he was with my guy. He must have been, you know, it must be okay. Well, this guy ends up, uh, now we're moving and building at a phenomenal rate. We're doing, we're breaking records. And um, this other guy who was the X factor, he uh, began to get jealous of the relationship that me and my buddy had, but we've known each other for over 20 years, you know? So uh, I guess he felt like he was getting left out in the cold or whatever, because maybe we'd laugh at something or talk about something or, you know, or whatever. who knows? I don't know. I don't know. It's very strange. But this guy then begins to sabotage the company. This is where the blind side factor comes in now. So now we're doing everything. We're molding. We're mending. We're building a business. Everything is going right. The law of attraction. We're building fast. We're doing great things. We're helping people and we're making a lot of money. And this this X factor comes in and starts hitting us with these crazy things like stealing comp stealing customer information, starting up a side company. All these things that you can't see that are happening. So I call it blindsided. So we get blindsided with this this uh, avalanche of problems and issues about almost a year down the road uh, that we have to address and, and, and figure out. Now, a lot of people would just go throw their hands up and go crazy and everything else. What you have to do is you have to sit back, take a break, turn everything off, get out a piece of paper and a pencil uh, or a pen and, and start writing down where did you go wrong? Where could you have made a mistake? Did you see anything? Start trying to go you know, recollect some things of what I had to do and start seeing where you saw some of the signs of this coming so that you can learn from the situation and realize the next time to see these signs and symbols again so that you don't get blindsided from that same exact type of a situation. Uh, so, you know, you begin to do that. Then the next thing is I think is important is don't let your physiology change. Don't get worked up, crazy, sweaty, panicky, running around screaming and cursing and all that stuff because that's all low-frequency low dark energy, which is only going to draw more low-frequency dark energy. When you start doing that, what happens is things that had nothing to do with your situation are going to start going dark and bad, and then you're going to get this pileup of, uh, of other bad things happening all around you all at the same time, and you're going to become overwhelmed, and you're going to want to give up on everything. So you got to still stay positive even though it doesn't look positive. And you got to figure out what you can learn from the situation so that it doesn't happen again be, to become a better judgment of others and so forth and how to, how to identify these things. And once you do that, th then the next thing to do is just start feeling, OK, well, I got a cup here. I always realize the cup is never empty or never half full because even if the cup looks half full, the rest of the cup is filled with uh, atmospheric gases. So, <laughs> like the cup is always full. OK, it's running over. It's got atmosphere. It's got argon, krypton, oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen, all that's inside the cup with the, with, the, with the other half of the bottom liquid. So you got a full cup. So you got to sit back, take a deep breath, say, look, what do I got to do to get out of this situation? Now you got to start putting your plan together to either uh, how you're going to uh, you know, uh, back out of this business deal. Are you going to uh, push forward with this and file a lawsuit? You know, all the different things you got. And you got to pick the best, best path for yourself based off of your own intuition, understanding, investigation, and uh, maybe some external external advice as well from attorneys or whatever. So it's a process. And so you can't just say, oh, you know, I was working on this law of attraction thing and then this happened and look, it didn't even work. And no, it's uh, there's things, there's so many obstacles out here that are designed to continuously keep us learning and developing and growing uh, and understanding. And the ones of us that are able to realize that and take them as challenges to learn and advance ourselves to the next level, I believe are the ones that are getting the opportunity or gaining or moving towards the opportunity to consciously incarnate at will, like Philip talks about in the Emerald Tablets, controlling our destiny versus a lot of the people out here that are just living and um, not understanding what's really happening and not trying to learn anything from lessons and being coming, recycling their energy back into new avatar bodies over and over again until they figure it out. You know, I feel like I'm really at the cusp now of being one of the people that 
will recycle my energy back into uh, another avatar body with full memory and uh, and 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 purpose and destiny and everything else already installed and maybe even at will if I can continue to ascend myself you know consciously to the next level. Uh, but I think even just understanding that that's possible is a whole other level of consciousness that you know that will you know I, this is what I learned from from the book. So I think that um, it's important for people to understand you can't. Every single time something happens, you can't start screaming and cursing and going crazy. Something even more simple than what I just gave. If you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off in traffic, this road rage, is, it doesn't even make any sense to me. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, the best thing for you to do is to avoid the accident, number one. Number two, bless that person. Bless their path. Bless that they make it to their destination safely. Pray for their family. Pray, pray for their loved ones. Hope that everything with them is okay. Maybe they, ha maybe they got a phone call that their kid just got into a car accident. Maybe they got a phone call that um, their dog just died, or maybe they just got fired from their job. And who, you don't even know if that person just got a phone call that the house is on fire and they're racing across town to get to their wife because they're, you don't, we don't know what's going on in people's minds. We can only assume and guess. So if somebody cuts you off in traffic, don't flip them a bird and chase them down and, 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 and get into the street fight and all this crazy stuff. Just slow down, save yourself and your family, and then bless them and bless their path. And you watch what, how many more positive doors open up for you that day or that week or that year just because of that one blessing that you gave somebody and you had an opportunity to make a decision there. I can get frustrated, get crazy, get sweaty, get nasty, get mean, or I can get happy, get exhilarated, put out a blessing and pray for somebody. Those are two different frequencies on two different levels. And the second one, I guarantee you, will bring you more positive karma than the first one. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of power. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people think that just by being this positive person that, you know, you're just, eh, you're not dealing with things. Mm -hmm. But really, I think it takes it takes more strength yeah. to be able to bless someone in those situations and not get worked up about that. Very, very true. I think we could talk about positivity and light for hours because <laughs> both of us are big believers in it. But we're going to wrap up this interview. And just at the end here, we want to ask you a few kind of rapid fire questions you could give, you know, quick sentences to. So mm -hmm. Mia and Bree have noticed recently that some sort of disclosure is happening right now, mm -hmm. whether that be, you know, a government controlled disclosure or real disclosure or, you know, any kind of form of it. Do you think that it's happening now? And if you do think it's happening now, why? Yes, I think disclosure is happening now. I think it's been happening actually for the since 2000 and um, uh, roughly around 2008, I would say it started a lot heavier through till now. Just a drip of information coming in, a little drip at a time, a very slow, slow process of acclimating the general population of the planet to the reality of ancient past civilizations and maybe even possible uh, current life in our universe as well. Uh, and I think that uh, a plan had been put forth through the through the Brookings Institute, who, who um, NASA really went by their guidelines as to what to not tell the general populations about ancient civilizations and aliens. But now, I think that's all fading away. A lot of the people that were into that information or thinking it, was a, it, was a, it should be like read to the letter are kind of passing away and moving on. And newer people are moving into those positions of power, making those decisions. And as that's been happening, I think the realization that, that the military-industrial complex wants to publicly expand more into open space and, and so forth, instead of keeping it top secret, not everything will be uh, open, but some of the top secret stuff they want to take and put out into the general mainstream. So they're acclimating us slowly but surely uh, into into this realm. And one of the reasons is because the planet's got to go green. Uh, everybody realizes this, including all the military and including all the governments. 
there is no such thing as peak oil, by the way, where we're going to run out of oil because oil is the blood of the earth and it's created. The earth creates the oil itself. Earth also creates diamonds and gold and everything else. That's why it never runs out. But they move. They know that it's damaging the planet. And uh, even though they are working on breakaway civilizations, those are very small, limited numbers of people. And the only way to really put this planet in a place where they can continue to monopolize off of it is they've got to allow us to go more green, which means that we've got to go more space, which means more private space industry, which means private space industry is making more discoveries that were never disclosed to the general population. So it's kind of the cat is going to get out of the bag a little bit. So we need to go ahead and get ahead of this and start uh, dropping little seeds here and there so that when the cat's all the way out of the bag, we go, oh, we told you. Oh, here, we declassified this. No, we declassified that. No, we, de we showed you the aliens. We showed you these UFOs on the Pentagon, uh, you know, the other night. We showed you the, all the radar footage. So little by little, disclosure is coming right now. So if you could give a person, like, one story or one thing to research who maybe isn't in the alien world, mm -hmm. what direction would you point them into to get into it? I would have to tell them to please go to WorldWideTelescope.org. <laughs> That's where I started as a newbie. Get the WorldWideTelescope.org software, or you can, I think, I don't think you need the software anymore. I think they've upgraded it now to where you can just open up the website and use it because it has HTML5 now. And uh, go to Panoramas and go to Mars Panoramas and just start looking around. Just take some time. Get a magnifying glass, a good old-fashioned magnifying glass, and start looking at some of these images and start looking at what you'll find there. And you'll start scratching your head going, what in the world is this object doing on this planetary body? And I think that if you can research that and come to the realization that there was an ancient civilization on the planet Mars, and a lot of the stuff looks like stuff from Earth, that's going to really open you up to the Sumerian tablets, which talk about a civilization running concurrently on Earth and Mars at the same time. It's going to open you up to the ancient wars uh, and the Indian Vedas and the Mahabharatas and all these other stuff. So that will take you down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole, and you'll begin to realize that... Um, there was an interplanetary civilization that was highly advanced in our solar system many, many years ago, and remnants of them may still be around. All right, so I have one final question for you, and I think Bree will have one after me, but my final question for you is going to be a little bit of a fun one. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in Bigfoot? I actually do believe in Bigfoot. I believe in every type of um, creature or, or possibility because quantum physics tells us it's real, quantum mechanics tells us it's real. Anything that um, anybody has ever said, I can never doubt it or say that it doesn't exist because of the experience I had myself. So yeah. nobody can ever tell me that I didn't see those two aliens or those two beings or wherever they were that day. They were in physical bodies. And because of that, I can't denounce or say that anything else doesn't exist. But why? Because I don't have the physical proof that they never existed or nobody ever saw them. I've seen Bigfoot footprints out at Iseti Ranch oh. uh, last year. Mm -hmm. I spoke there for seven days. And um, out there in the field, they have this thing called the Field of Dreams, I believe that they call it out there, where a lot of the UFOs are. And um, one day it was a big ruckus, and everybody ran out there, and there were these huge prints in the dirt. And they were saying that they were Bigfoot footprints. And they were mad. I mean, I, you know, I'm wearing a size 14. They were they overshadowed my foot by a long shot. And I was like, what kind of wow. foot is this? So it's possible. You know, it's very, very possible that there are these creatures out here. And they may be multidimensional. Who knows? That could be anything. We just really, there's so much going on. We just really don't know. So I can never denounce it and say that they don't exist because to me, that would be like saying my experience never happened, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think, at least for me, so many of the time, I cannot say that something can or cannot mm-hmm. be possible because then you can compare it to your own experiences. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Well, people tell me that what I went through could not be possible. So who am I to say when I mm-hmm. know that really anything is possible? Yeah. That's one thing we always say on the podcast is okay. really just anything is possible. Yeah. So my question was going to go back to Mars since you were talking about that. Do you think it's possible that there is still a civilization there on Mars, mm-hmm. whether it's above ground or underground? Mm-hmm. And do you think that our secret space program could be there currently? I totally believe 1000% that there's an existing civilization on Mars right now as we're speaking today. There's people living below the surface in these um, underground uh, areas. Uh, I believe that there's also a remnant of people that were already there that are still living there. And this is all based off of actual imagery that we've downloaded and looked at. You know, if you, we've looked at objects that look like statues, and a statue looks like a statue no matter what planet it's on, as far as I'm concerned. It's an object that looks, you know, appears to be, um, you know, created and maybe broken in pieces or laying on the surface. But sometimes we come across objects that look like bodies mm. uh, or entities. But the thing that's weird about it is how come they're looking and turning and looking at the camera? I've never seen anybody on Earth create a statue <laughs> that turns to look at cameras. So that's interesting. Why are they looking at the rover camera? So from all different angles now, from different time frames and different areas, you'll see these objects that appear to be biological entities turning and looking at the rover camera. So that's interesting. So I, that leads me to believe that there's um, people still there, a remnant of maybe the original people that were there. And there's also a place in McMurdo Valley that I discovered that made the news where it looks like a military base. Now, it looks like an Earth military base. And uh, in the image, you can see two objects in the sky, and I trace down the shadows to the ground, showing that they're above ground, not on the ground. They have a shadow that matches. One looks like a helicopter, and one looks like a, a swept-wing plane banking. And there's a couple of tanks and turrets on the ground. And now I'm not saying this is exactly what they are. Of course, I'm just hypothesizing, but I'm only comparing them to what I know looks like on Earth. And this is what I'm telling you I saw in McMurdo Valley, and the images are still up there on NASA.gov. They haven't taken them down, deleted them, or obfuscated them in any way. And they're in this area called McMurdo Valley, which is amazing. And um, I believe that that's part of the military-industrial complex and our, a lot of our black budget funding and everything else going into colonizing Mars. Uh, as you know, Elon Musk is taking 80,000 people plus there. Blue Origins is going to Mars. Bronson, uh, which is Virgin Galactic, they're going to Mars. So all these people are going to be going to Mars. And I don't think that billionaires are going to go leave the creature comforts of Earth and go live in a tin can for the rest of their life until they die. They're already having servants, butlers, private jets, and all this other stuff. Yes, they're adventurous, but for the rest of your life in a tin can, I seriously doubt it. Based on the science data, I, I really do believe that there's a breathable atmosphere on Mars, although it being very thin air, probably 14 to 15,000 feet above sea level on Earth. There is a magnetic field that they've discovered now to help diffract some of the cosmic rays and so forth. And they've discovered now that the, Earth, the, um, the rotation of Mars on its axis, which is 23.2 hours of us or something like that, the bow shock of it spinning and moving through space-time gives enough bow shock to bend the, ray, the, the radiation around the planet, preventing a lot of it from reaching the surface. So you have a situation here. Now that NASA has said there's billions of tons of liquid water all over Mars. Ice caps have melted. It's liquid water. And they just found a 12,000 hectare lake, which they showed on TV on a press release. You know, so it's all adding up to one thing. They're starting to trickle us the information that you can live on Mars with no problem. It has a rain cycle. It has a, a weather pattern. 
And uh, now they're saying, NASA, that the soil on Mars is better for harvesting, for creating harvest of uh, vegetables and everything else than the soil on Earth. How do they know that? <laughs> so, so that's your answer. They, they've already experimented in science. The science machines have come back with the information and data or transmitted the data back, and they're ready to, to move there. And I think that Elon Musk will get there, probably one of the first ones, and he'll come in front of the camera, in front of those giant tin cans, and he'll wave at the camera. But when they go back behind the hill, they're going into some probably 3D printed homes and some un- that leads to some underground shelters. So then do you think he already has prior knowledge that this is happening? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, he has to know. I mean, it's just, you know, when you're giving access to fly freely through space to go to Mars under complete approval, there's going to be a few top secret things you're in, and you're going to have to sign. You're going to have to sign some things and say, I won't talk about this. I won't talk about that. And I think one of the biggest reasons why he said it's a one-way trip is because I don't think that the people could, would you know, be allowed to come back and talk about what they discovered there until the military is ready to release that information to the world. So when first-class space takes off, mm-hmm. do you think that you're going to be debriefed on all of this and eventually have to sign your own contract? Uh, it's a very possible thing. Now, what, a little bit something different we're doing is because we're not getting a launch, we're not launching vehicles. We're actually um, providing ancillary technology to existing space agencies. So if we do a deal like, let's say, with SpaceX and we provide them with something like a ferrofluid vortex uh, generator that can reduce the weight of their payload. So when he launches his massive rocket, it, it needs less fuel. The payload is lighter, which means he increases his, his, uh, his bottom line financially because the, the, small, the lighter the payload, the more profit you can make. Uh, you know, so things like that, we wouldn't need to, you know, we're, we're just um, uh, giving a small part of something that's going on. We don't know the full picture of what his mission is. And one of the things we would like to do, though, is we would like to partner with an Indian space agency who sent a satellite to Mars for $3 million on a, on a private raise, which is a very small amount of money to do that with. And they successfully did it. NASA would have used $30 billion to do the same thing. Damn. But so we'd like to partner with the Indian space agency and do a rover to Mars, where we actually land a rover there. So that's some technology that we'd like to partner with with uh, the Indian Space Agency in doing. And that may require us to sign something or get access or approval for something. We don't know yet, but that is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to take a rover there initially and have control of our own rover, send back our own data and our own, our own images. So that's something that we're, we want to push forward uh, towards the future here. That is absolutely towards the future. And I, mm-hmm. hope, I hope and I pray that that happens. Yes. I feel like we need a space agency that we can trust and that we trust the photos that we're Mm -hmm. getting back. We don't have to sit there for hours and hours to investigate it. Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, Billy, we want to thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Can you tell everyone where they can find you out online? Yes. You can go to Forbidden Knowledge with the number four. So four, B-I-D-D-E-N, ForbiddenKnowledge.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Forbidden Knowledge with the number four. And uh, this is going to be a crazy week, guys. So tune in to my Instagram account. I'm going to be going on this. I call this Hell Week. <laughs> so I'm going to be on eight flights in the next nine days, moving all around the uh, earth here, trying to make business deals and make things happen to help take humanity to a type one civilization. Absolutely. And thank you again so much for coming on. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. I've been waiting for this day. So we're yeah, we, very blessed. We just we actually we just saw you talk at Disclosure Fest. We were just down there and then we saw you at um, oh. Content in the Desert yeah. as well. Oh great, fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for your support. I really appreciate it, guys. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Bye. cool. Bye-bye.
All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in tonight. If you guys want to get a hold of us, shoot us an email at that one time I was abducted at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at that one time I was abducted. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and all social media platforms. And make sure you guys check out our Patreon if you feel like giving us a dollar a month. Patreon.com slash that one time I was abducted by aliens. And then if you guys want, call into our hotline and leave us a message. You could tell us a story. You could just say what's up. You know, whatever's on your mind. Think of us as like your digital alien therapist hotline and just call us with your stories. And the phone number is 408-320-8481. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. We love you all and fuck you, Mountain View, California. Mountain View, California.